Parents, we want to teach our kids five things according to a parent magazine. What do you do when you get lost? Uh, what do you want the kids to know? So number one is the kids should know mommy and daddy's phone number. Number two, you tell them, if you're in a safe place, don't move. Stay where you are, right? Don't panic. Three, go to an adult, preferably a mother who has a child. So they usually have sympathy and they'll care for you. Uh, fourth, don't leave with that helper. <laughs> Stay where you are with that person. And number five, this is interesting, make sure the kids know the mommy and daddy's full name so they could tell the police officers. And so that was really helpful. It was a parenting magazine. Why am I bringing that up? If only Israel at this time knew rule number two when they felt lost. Don't panic. Stay where you are. And don't panic. And don't leave and do things on your own. And so, in verse 1, we read today, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, And so, this is, they, they came up to Moses, they said, they came up to Aaron and said, Moses is, this guy Moses is gone. We want you to do something for us, Aaron. And so Moses has been gone for 40 days and 40 nights. So that seems like a lifetime. It's a month and a half. They're like, he's not here. Maybe he died. And so Moses has been gone for 40 days, 40 nights. And so it says, so the people uh, gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, now, pause right there. The people go to Aaron. Moses is gone, their, their leader that took them out of Egypt, intercessor with God. What would you say to Aaron when you don't see your leader? Hey, this is what I would have said. Um, is Moses all right? You know, should we go after him? Is he coming back? Should somebody go find him? I mean, these are the things that people would normally ask Aaron, right? So the people came up to Aaron, and what they said to him was, here's what they actually said. They gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, I mean, get up, move forward. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, I like how they call him just this Moses who liberated them through God's power. The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. This is their request. We want to move forward. We want you to make us a God we can see. And we want to just live and lead the way we want to. That's basically what they're saying. Let's move on from Moses and the God who saved us and let's go to the next God. So just there, I mean, there, this, this text can have like three or four different sermons and it should, but right here we'll talk about there's a human nature aspect here in all of us. Here's the first human nature. We prefer security from things that are tangible. That's human nature. We prefer the tangible, it's here with us, it's now. We prefer the numbers in our bank account to be big. We don't like the unknown, like, 
Well, God will be with you. Well, that's great. I, I need something now. I want the job. I want the girlfriend. I want the wife. I want the husband. I want the house. I want everything now. We are people who, in human nature, back in Israel to now, we need something tangible. And that's a problem. So in church, we need a leader that could lead us. We need, we need people that could give money. And this is what we rely on. We need money. We need people. We need houses. We need things. And... Uh, John 20, 25, you know this story. Thomas missed out on seeing Jesus resurrected. And look what Thomas says. Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, what? I will never believe. Some of us, we want to believe only when we could see it, touch it, feel it. And so believing in this God, trusting in an invisible God, it's, it's hard. For a lot of us. Uh, this past week, I, I did the holy uh, retreat to the golf course on Monday. And as I was golfing, I was grouped with a, a Korean man. And I found out his name is Sam. And I found out his dad was a pastor. And when he found out I was a pastor, he said to me, I hate religion. And I hate God. It's going to be a fun golf day. <laughs> this is fantastic. But I really appreciated that. And we got to talking and I asked him, wow, you must have had a tough experience. He said, of course. Was it growing up as a pastor's kid in a church, Korean church? He said, of course. But he said this line. He said, but besides that, he said, I can't believe in God. I have too much science in me. What is he saying? I don't want to believe in this made-up myth that people worship invisible God. I need science. I need concrete. I need gravity. I need texture. I need physics. I, I need to believe in science and this mumbo-jumbo religious stuff, which I wanted to say, but I didn't feel it was right to say at the moment because I don't want to become argumentative. I love science. Science and God are completely compatible. But obviously there was something else going on in his heart. And so... He is one of many people today. We believe in things as long as it's concrete. We can't believe in this invisible God. Where's Moses? Where's his God? It's been 40 days. It's been forever. Make us something. Make us new gods. Uh, he leans on. So he and people and Israel, to trust in an invisible God is something that's difficult for them. And so... The second thing about human nature we see from Israel is this. We absorb the culture around us. It's, it's a human nature. It, we absorb what's around us and influences our technology. These Israelites have been born and raised in Egypt. Their grandparents too. It's been 200 to 300 years they've been in Egypt. What do you think they picked up on? Temple worship? No, they, there was no Jewish temple at the time. They picked up on paganism, Egyptians, and they realized every Egyptian god has a statue. We want a statue too. We need a god like everyone else. We need a statue we could worship because that's all they know. Human nature is that we will pick up on things that are around us. And the Israelites were falling back on their default setting of following and worshiping around us. 
Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. Why would Paul tell us that? Because you and I absorb culture around us, and it affects how we think about God, whether you realize it or not. Uh, I'm just, just as a fun fact, 2,000 years ago, when people started becoming church uh, worshiping, they didn't say, we need to have a guitar. I know what church is. We need to have an organ. No one thought like that. Those were formed through the culture, through the time. There was no preset. We absorbed these things. And so verse 4, it says this. So Aaron received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they, the people of Israel, said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They were crediting their salvation to these fixed images, just like Egyptians would. And so we pick up the culture of the world around us. And culture can be beautiful. Culture is nice. Culture is great. There's nothing bad about culture. Culture is not evil. But culture will influence the way we view God and have spirituality. And so, for example, people say, I believe all gods, all religions lead to the same God. How many of you heard that? All religions lead to the same God. How many of you heard that at least once? I hear that all the time. Oh, you're a Christian? Well, you know what? All religions are the same. Do you know where that comes from? Culture. Because culture is popular now to say, everybody's included, everybody's good, we're, we're all fine. If you're a Christian who says, Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, they'll say, look at this intolerant, stuck-up, arrogant person. <laughs> Ironically, if they believe all religion goes to the same God, they haven't read the Ten Commandments. The first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. It actually moves all the other religions out. And so we have to be aware that we do pick up on this. Where's, where's this all going? The point of this is we are people who God is setting apart with the Ten Commandments who say, I want you to live apart from the worldly culture set aside for my way. That's why I'm giving you the Ten Commandments. It's a rule. I, at this moment right here, Mary, many people got married and what I never hear is, you know what? We just like each other. Just put the ring on and let's go eat. You know what happens here? What happens in this very spot? Will you, Jason, take Kathy to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold, in richer or poorer, in goodness, sickness, and in health? What are we doing? We're setting rules, a covenant, for this relationship to work. It's a promise to one another. God is doing that to Israel to say, if we are going to live life together and I'm going to dwell with you, we got to keep these rules because I want you to be protected. And so the story gets really interesting because how does Aaron respond when they say, make us gods? This part really strikes me. Make us gods so that we could worship and they could lead us. And I wish Aaron said this. This is not in the Bible. This is my just fiction. You stiff-necked, idolatrous people. That would have been awesome. How dare you turn from the God who rescued you? Repent of your sin and wait upon God. Ooh, 
I would have been like, yeah, that's my man. Everyone, I'm, I'm with Aaron. I'm not into this other stuff. No, what does Aaron do? Verse, 32, verse 2 and 4. So Aaron said to them, Okay, uh, take off your gold ring that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of the gold, and they brought to Aaron, and he received them, put them in the fire, and he made a golden calf. The problem with this text is it's not just Israel that worshiped the calf. It's Moses' big brother who saw the power of God making a god of statue of golden calf. And so the question we, we should have is, why did Aaron do such a foolish thing? And the answer is not profound. Um, and just doing a lot of research and reading it, it comes out to two reasons. Um, and the clues are in the same chapter. If you read down a little bit further, it shows that he was afraid of the people. Um, later on, Moses approaches him, and Moses says, what did this people do to you <laughs> that you had brought such a great sin upon them? Moses asked him, and this is Aaron's response. Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people. They're set on evil. They said to me, make us gods, and I made gods. Oh, this is the funniest part, though. I thought this was funny. Did you catch this part? Um, for Aaron, he's saying the people forced me. I had no choice. And Moses, Aaron goes on, and he says, so they gave it to me, and I threw the gold into the fire, and literally, can you read it? And out came this calf. I threw it in there. I didn't do anything. I just threw the gold in there, and cow came out. It's just so funny because Aaron is trying so hard not to be the fall guy. But Aaron, you messed up too. And so the second reason why we think Aaron might have made this is this is a stretch, but I, I, I could see this. He was stalling for time. It's been 40 days. Maybe Moses will come down on the 41st day. Uh, we get that clue from verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar. When he saw people bowing to it, this is our God who saved us out of Egypt. Aaron saw this. He built an altar, and he said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Why, why wait till tomorrow? And so some commentaries are saying he's just doing whatever he can to stall them so that Moses could come down. We don't know exactly, but this is what we do know. Israel sinned. Aaron sinned. They worshiped the created things rather than the creator. And just as a mini-sermon here, the danger of the modern church today is we worship the created things rather than the creator. This church building is not our God. The pastor is not God. This community is not God. This, these are all gifts of God. But we always end up worshiping the things of God rather than God. I don't know. I mean, there, we have a lot of sacred objects, and they're good. It's good to honor them. But sometimes we fall in love with the things of God rather than God. And so, first commandment says, you shall have no other God before me. Second commandment says, worship him in the right way. So we go on. And so, it says, to, it says later on that God's anger burns against, against them. God didn't take it lightly. Uh, verse 7, I mean, verse, I'll jump to verse 10. God says, 
Well, verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation out of you. God is really angry about this sin. And the problem with us today is we take sin too lightly. What basically God is saying here is this. Did you hear? This is severe. I'm going to destroy all of them. I just need you, Moses. I'll start over again. I mean, he's done that with Noah. And so this statement seems out of character because we like the nice, gentle God. But for God to be God, this is huge. The reason why God is God, he can't allow sin to just reign free. He must judge it. And so God calls them stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked people. Um, how many of have you ever called somebody a stiff-necked person? I don't think it's modern English today. Like when you're driving down Beach Boulevard, someone calls you off, you don't go, stiff-neck! You don't, you don't do that. Like it's not something we usually say to each other. Like you get into a fight with your wife and you go, oh yeah, you're stiff-necked. You, that's not popular. You know what stiff-neck means? It's reference to oxen. Oxen that are pulling the cart, and so the, the driver hits it with a stick, turns it right, turns left. Stiff neck means they hit the ox, and the ox is like, I don't care. I'm going my way. It's a, it's a connection to people who refuse to adhere to their master. That's stiff necked. And God is saying these stiff necked people are stubborn, they're independent, they're sinners who, in essence, want to live their life their way. And so after blatantly disobedient and having idolatry, I'm curious, as we wrap this up, why didn't God just destroy them? Did you catch it? What was the reason why God didn't just destroy them? And I'm going to give you four verses in that text that we read. The only reason why God didn't annihilate Israel. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 30, jumping on down. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And lastly, 31, he says to God, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, he's basically saying, Take me instead. Please blot me out of your book that you have written. The way Moses responds to his people who've sinned is, is just phenomenal. What was Moses doing? This is interceding for his people. He is, he is standing in the gap between God and them and saying, God, do not destroy them. He's saying, remember who you are. You're a compassionate God. He's saying, remember the promises you've made. And he's saying what? Take me instead. 
And so in Numbers 12, it's no surprise. Can we read this together? Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now we know why. He was putting his whole nation up before him to say, take me instead. Lord, forgive them. The only reason Aaron and Israel, aside from the 3,000 who would not repent and were killed, the only reason why the whole nation of Israel was alive for the serious sin of idolatry that God's wrath burned hot, he had an intercessor. They had an intercessor who pleaded for God's grace. Friends, for you and me, it's not a matter of will you commit idolatry. It's a matter of what will you do when you commit idolatry and let things get more important than God. And the answer is still the same. We need an intercessor. Before we came to Christ, as Christians, we need an intercessor every day, and we need an intercessor greater than Moses. The story is showing us you and I are idolaters, and the only way we are saved is by God's grace with an intercessor who says, let me stand in the gap for Jason and for all these people because they are lost. And it says, Jesus Christ is this intercessor. First John, um, I want to read you this. It, will for, it, it ends with this. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he has spoken of bringing on his people because of Moses' words, basically. And so the only way we're saved is because of this intercession. This is what it says in 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right? I'm writing this so you don't become idolatrous. But if anyone does sin, but when you do sin, we have an advocate, an intercessor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen? So religion is we are not here and have God's favor because you live such a beautiful life. We're here because of God's grace, because somebody has interceded for us, and we love God, we worship God, we turn rebellious hearts back to God because of Jesus Christ, the intercessor. And so I realize we don't need a statue or figure to worship God. We have the best image of God. It says in Colossians 1.15, Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Because of him, we have an object to worship. So, your job and my job, we live our lives devoted in worship, adoring this king who gave himself for us, who pleaded with us. Moses didn't die for his people, but our Jesus went to the cross for us. And so in that beauty, we have this table, and we remember that promise that God's grace is sufficient for us all. Let's pray. Lord, help us to live in righteousness and humility because no one in this room is marked righteous because of our actions. It's easy to see Israel as quote-unquote terrible sinners who were unfaithful to you right away, but God, aren't we all? And so if it was not for your grace and for the great intercessor we have in Jesus, Lord, we are hopeless. But thanks be to God, 
you have given us your son. And in his name and because of his name and for his name, we live and we declare that our lives are his, ransomed by his blood. Have all of us, Lord. We want to live righteously for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.